Welcome to Practically Political. It's great to have you with us again. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. Let's get to it, Dave. All right. So breaking news overnight. It looks like the congressional Republicans want to impeach Secretary Mayorkas. Uh, I think I know what you're going to say, that you shouldn't impeach people for bad action. It has to be something different. But I would love to hear your thoughts on that. But also just in general, can you agree that the Biden administration is failing to enforce the immigration laws passed by Congress? And as such, there is a logical argument to say this person is in gross dereliction of the duty. I mean, you're talking about millions of people. Um, you know, I just pulled on some statistics. Um, according to the U.S. Border Patrol, more than six million people have been apprehended along the border with Mexico under the Biden administration, and more than two million have been detected but not apprehended. And you're talking about the number of asylum seekers. It rose from 458,000 in fiscal 2020 to 1.7 million in fiscal 2021, 2.4 million in fiscal 22, and 2.5 million in fiscal 23. So that's just, to me, it's, it's, it's utter incompetence. Um, and it's, it is actually in flagrant violation. The, the executive branch is meant to enforce the legislative branch. So to me, I think Mayorkas is violating the separation of powers. What do you think? Okay, so is that, is that your question? Because there, uh, there was a lot in there. <laughs> that, was, uh, that, was, that was quite an event, Carrie. But so your question is, do, is the impeachment worthwhile because he's, because he's violating it, it, what, what you say is, is law and they're, they're not enforcing the law? Is that it? Well, first of all, I, I think that, and again, this is true with Governor Walker in uh, Wisconsin. It was true with Newsom in California. I don't believe that you impeach or recall people over policy differences, Okay. So yes, you can make, you could have made an argument in all, in all the cases that, oh, they're not following the law. Their, their policy should have been instituted, all this. But the bottom line is this is a policy issue. This is not a legal issue. I think most people would agree with that. And by the way, this is the same thing. I'm happy to see that the House has cooled off on their impeachment of Joe Biden for basically a lot of stuff that his son did when he wasn't even in, in, in office for crying out loud. So uh, th that's, that's the same policy. You, you impeach people with Trump, at least, you know, where there was, there was the phone call. Okay. That was pretty with Zelensky. So that was pretty clear. Then there was January 6th. So there were reasons, at least people didn't uh, disagree on the reason that he's being impeached. In this case, there is now having said that, Yes. Could, could the Biden administration be doing more? But Republicans have a chance to do more on the border, which we'll talk about in, in a bit. So the short answer to your question is no. I think this is still. And again, this opens a real can of worms here, right? Because if, you, if you're able to start impeaching people over what you think is policy or at least a gray area over enforcement, I mean, this is going to be endless. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah, that's true. I don't want a slippery slope, but let's get real. The left has never, ever, ever been shy about trying to weaponize everything. So I, I think in this case, like the fact is that I do, and this is the debate, I do believe that this is gross negligence and that it is in violation of congressional law. I think that's different from policy. I agree with you. You shouldn't 
you shouldn't impeach someone because of a policy disagreement. I do agree with you on that. But I think in this case, it is such a gross dereliction that, I mean, you and you have this recent Supreme Court ruling, which, you know, I do believe in separation of powers. There's federal and state. So I don't think I agree with the rationale. Um, I understand why the federal government needed to assert itself. But at the same time, it's also in gross dereliction of its executive branch uh, duty. Um, so I think the ruling itself was flawed. But I, I agree with you, though. So we can at least agree that you shouldn't impeach on policy. But can you at least see where I'm coming from that he is in gross dereliction of the, the laws passed by Congress, which is another separation of powers. Do you see this as a potential separation of powers? Well, for, first of all, I just chortle when I hear anyone uh, from the right talk about weaponizing government because it gets back to this Donald Trump's strategy of I'm rubber and you're glue. So there's nobody who has weaponized the government. And by the way, who says openly that he's going to weaponize the government even more if he gets back in. So that's that one's a laugher. But putting that aside, Yes, I think it's a, it's a very gray area. And you, you mentioned another important point, okay? If the federal law trumps state law, that is one of the bedrocks of our Constitution. And if the Supreme Court, okay, makes, and this is a conservative Supreme Court, right? This is not back to the, you know, days of, of uh, that fawned the religious right, you know, the Roe v. Wade days. This is a, this is a conservative court. It, when they say, you have that and they make a ruling you states have to abide by it again because talk about a slippery slope every state i'm sure can come up with a reason that they don't like a, a federal court or a supreme court ruling and you've got to be able to abide by that and this is where i really worry about things getting out of control and having one constitutional crisis after another and and you know the border thing really brings me to my first question and that is you know None of this would be necessary if we had a serious border policy. And we're the only industrialized country that doesn't have a real immigration policy. And I've said on the show before that the, the cynical but simplistic answer for that is that Democrats want the votes. Republicans want the underpriced labor. Then there, I think there's a lot of truth to that. But putting that aside, OK, we have a bill. OK, all I've been hearing from the right and from the, the MAGA world is, oh, we need to have. We need to get rid of catch and release. We need to be able to deport people better. We need more border officers. We need to be able to process more people, all this stuff. So now we have a bill that answers all those, which basically is anathema to progressives in so many ways. Okay. And, and you have people like James Lanford, who is the most conservative guys around, who is pleading. And yet all of a sudden, because Trump wants a political win, that little weak election denying speaker who's so unqualified is saying, oh, it's dead on arrival. And now you get this argument about, oh, we have to enforce existing laws. So can you please acknowledge that this bill is a good bill and that it, it, that if Republicans were serious about border control, they should pass a bill, which in the words of Republican senators, and I can name about 10 of them, have said, we're never going to get a bill this good. Even if we get control of the White House, the Senate and the House will never get 60 votes. What say you? Well, I, I haven't read the bill in depth and it keeps changing. Um, I think some of the concern is the uh, generally, and I don't know if it's in the current form, 
but generally special treatment for people who broke the law and saying that somehow they should be able to cut to the front of the line for a citizenship. I think that's wrong. I think they should have to go in the same order as everybody else who is following the law. You know, I just had a friend of mine who we finally, finally, he arrived in December from Afghanistan with his wife and little boy. Um, he had been an interpreter for the U.S. Army. It took him two and a half years since the incompetent, disastrous, death-infused withdrawal uh, in Afghanistan by the US it. military to get it. him out. And what's so sad is that he's he did he put his life on the line for us. And yet you have people yeah. who mock our government okay. and cross okay. over six million. I, I agree. I, I agree. I agree that we that the the Afghanistan withdrawal was botched and that we should help no, a lot of people. Been like from an immigrant. Us, but you're no no but the reason you're you're getting in the weeds and you're not answering the question. The bottom line is this was a bill that Republicans supported all of a sudden, Donald Trump is against it, and now they're against it. So can you, wouldn't you like to see uh, end of catch and release? All these things that these conservative senators are talking about, but but the, the, the puppets in the House are say it's DOA, and they're saying, oh, Biden should enforce existing rules. Well, that's true, but that's not answering the main issue. Here's a bill that they're never going to get again. So can you please well, so at least publicly say that they should, if the bill comes out and addresses most of the things that, that that Republicans should a vote for it, and will you also acknowledge that they were they were they were for it until Trump was against it? Isn't that true? Again, I haven't followed those particulars. That's not it. But yes or no, with Trump, he was the one who was who opposed it, and then everyone started opposing it. Look back; it's like Dave, a light switch went off. And again, I'm not. I don't care about Trump. I'm just saying. This is the way it's a bigger picture. This is the way the Republican Party is right now, where where it's not about policy. And here's something that Republicans have dreamed about getting. And Biden, to his credit, knows it's his weak issue. And he is making pro progressives go nuts by saying, you know what, I'll shut down the border tomorrow. I'll sign this bill. But all of a sudden, Trump doesn't want it. So the House isn't going to bring it up. So I, I think what... And I, I hope you can agree with Speaker Johnson on the fact that it is true we have not enforced laws on the book. So the question is, why should we create a bunch of more meaningless laws? They're for not meaningless. Sure. No, no. I, I'm going to give an analogy here that I, I uh, it was a great Wall Street Journal okay. columnist. You're obviously not going to answer the question. Okay. No, no, I'm off. pointing out the realities because it's one thing to have a pie in the sky kumbaya bill that everyone signs off on. But then the reality is, Joe Manchin can actually speak this. Joe Manchin was promised specific provisions if he endorsed uh, that giveaway bill, the Inflation Reduction Act. Guess what? He never got his promise, his promised things. Same thing happened, as the Wall Street Journal pointed out this year, when you're talking about the tax bills, Ronald Reagan was was oh, promised. Crying out loud. We're, we're going back to Reagan. <laughs> let me let me answer the question. I'm answering the question. Why are Republicans so far in the weeds here? It's almost entertaining. No, no, no. Go ahead. I'm, Go ahead. I'm giving the context of why, because you, uh -huh. you're talking about the state yeah. of the Republican Party. I'm telling you, Republicans are sick of being chumps. Ronald Reagan in the tax. The Wall Street Journal pointed out this 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 year. Uh, Ronald Reagan was promised that for every $1 where he increased the spending, he would get $3 in tax cuts. Well, guess what? He agreed to the spending, but he never got his tax cuts. So he was a chump. That's it. So the Republicans here, they don't want to be a chump. The fact is you have 6 million people 
who have entered illegally, Dave. Why can't the Biden administration stop that massive? The, they, that you're, we're, we're again, you're, this is, this is a, a red herring. And first of all, by the way, Ronald Reagan got his military increases and he got his tax cuts and he, he didn't get his spending because uh, and he knew and he knew he wasn't going to get his spending increases. And by the way, he was also a pragmatist who raised taxes when he needed to. But putting that aside, the Wall Street Journal, by the way, which you always quote, has said this bill is the best bill we're going to get. Sign it. And they they're pointing out exactly what I'm saying is that the only reason it's not happening is because Trump doesn't want it there. And so the Republican Party is going to take what they see as a political win uh, over what's best for the country. And by the way, my advice to Biden, go on TV, say, I'm going to I'm willing to shut down the border right now. I've agreed to A, B, C, D, E, F, which I never would agree to. Everyone in my party on the left wing wants to kill me, but this is important. And just hammer them and hammer them and hammer them because when people tune into the election, they are going to see that this has been an incredible betrayal of what's best uh, for the American the American interests. So we'll leave it at that. But you ask me your your second question. Okay, I have so much more to say next. Time. I know, same year. <laughs> we, we can we could do an hour on this. <laughs> um, well, I want to talk about on a different topic, uh, another topic that we agree to disagree on. But I'm hoping maybe we can agree on this. Okay. So on the topic of abortion, mm -hmm. um, and we recently saw the March for Life just happened here in D.C. It's the largest gathering of pro-life activists every year. Which and you so proudly participate in. Yes, I had I had a surgery this year, so I couldn't go, but I have gone in years past. And yes, and I love it. Um, but several pro-life groups have said that they support this bill, which would basically require a father to financially support a child in utero and it's been it was for it was actually in um back before he became speaker um congressman johnson was one of the co-sponsors on it uh, they also had senators including marco rubio um and when i was at america first policy institute we did some polling that found that 78% of Americans say that a father is financially obligated to an unborn child immediately at conception. And my thinking is like federal law protects pregnancy under the Americans with Disability Act, yet we shield men from accountability for making a woman highly vulnerable without any consequences. So, and you can establish the paternity in utero with a non-invasive prenatal paternity test, it's called a NIP, um, so it's easily proven with science, very accurate test. So would you support this? And, and, and I talked to some Democrat friends, including like a African-American female, um, friend of mine, who's done a documentary on Roe v. Wade. She said she loves the idea. Actually, she said in her mind, she actually thinks it's going to help abortion keep legal because men won't want to be held responsible. <laughs> so I don't know. So I thought it was interesting that there was a bipartisan appeal to it for different reasons. But what say you about it? So I, I'm still, I am actually, I've heard murmurs about this, but I haven't seen any details. So what exactly would be the rule? You have to pay a certain amount per month or you have to uh, go to doctor's appointments. When you say support, there's different types of support. So what, what exactly, let's say you're a man, you impregnate a woman, she's in a state where she can't have an abortion or she doesn't want to have an abortion. She wants to have the kid. What is your obligation 
how much, when does it kick in, for how long? Give me some details here because I, I can't, I'm not qualified to answer the question right now. So it's a, and it's a good question. It's, it's financially responsible, even though I think culturally we should also encourage the father emotionally to be responsible as well. Um, because if you look at surveys, one of the top reasons, usually the top reason why women say they get abortions is because of financial reasons or the support and or lack of support from the father. So I just think if, if you had more support from the men, holding them responsible. And like I said, 78% of Americans said that the father is financially responsible at conception. That it makes me think that that, you know, that little chunk of people who don't, that's probably, in my view, it's probably Democrat men who don't want to be held responsible. Well, there's there's certainly some some truths to that. Uh, well, I would say this. First of all, a lot of these, one of my main problem with a lot of these abortion restrictions is that poor people get, get screwed the most. And again, if you're telling someone who had a, who knocked up a woman because they, you know, after a bar scene one night or something, I'm not saying that he's any less responsible, but I think that's a tough sell. Principally, yes. I think, I think people should be responsible. And I think the, uh, the, the lack of fathers is a major crisis in this country. You look at by far and away, it's not even close. The number one criterion that will determine whether kids get out of poverty is two parent households. So I'm totally with you on the social benefits of it. I just think it's very tricky. How do you enforce? How do you do it? But in, in, in principle, I, I agree. But again, you know, people don't like added rules, regulations, having rights taken away. I think a valuable lesson for the Republican Party was Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. He was a pretty pragmatic guy, and he came and tried to get people to sign on to a 15-week ban. People are not going to sign on to bans, okay? News to GOP. That's that's taking rights away, and it didn't work out very well for him in Virginia, obviously, and you haven't heard much from him since, so much for the presidential campaign. But in any case, uh, I think that I think it's a, a very it's a it's a very hard issue. But yes, I do think getting parents fathers involved. The way to do it is probably with a carrot, not through a stick. That would be my only final uh, way to do it. My question for you is, one of the things that's gotten lost in this whole debate over uh, the border bill is that, again, aid to Israel and aid to Ukraine is part of this bill. And it's kind of been overshadowed with all the other stuff that's going on. But Vladimir Putin has... Uh, and I don't know if you heard Bill Burns give, gave a great interview where he was saying that I don't think people realize how much Russia has been degraded economically, reputationally, militarily. This is a great time to start re recruiting spies. Great dig to make Putin more paranoid. Way to go, Bill. But in any case, but his long winded point is Russia is in a position to negotiate uh, because I think they realize that this is not moving, going well. But. Ukrainian funding is being held up. So, A, do you still support funding Ukraine? Because I've seen a lot of people like Mike Johnson, for example, has never voted for U for Ukraine funding. And this is one of the things I just don't get about the whole MAGA world. And I, I understand Trump's fascination with dictators and his love of them and all that. But I don't understand why it's not in our natural interest, particularly when all you hear is concern about Taiwan. No one is watching this more closely to China. So A, do you still support aid to Ukraine? And B, how should the situation be handled? 
Yeah, I, I do support. I think it should be separated. I think it's wrong to glom it all together. And I know Agreed. that the reason why they do that is because they want to force people's hands. That's why they're doing it. And that's part of the problem why you can't get the border bill passed. That's actually part of the problem is that people that you should disaggregate um, instead because it's part of the problem. Like in even just immigration in general, you should pass things incrementally. Everyone always says in Capitol Hill, we need everything and the kitchen sink. We need comprehensive immigration reform. That's the phrase, comprehensive immigration reform. Well, if you can't get a consensus and you can't get comprehensive, how do you eat an elephant? You do it one bite at a time. So let's start with the basics. Let's close the border. Then we can add other layers on top of it. Um, and so, yeah, I think it should be separated. Um, I do think that Europe should pony up a lot more. I think that they've, they're, they're, Europe is, is highly sanctimonious um, toward us about very uh, numerous things. Um, but I think one thing is is this issue of defense where they basically write our coattails. And so I would like to see perhaps maybe in the US if, if we do support more financially, it should be conditional on the European parliament um, sending more money or the UK sending more money. That's what I think might be something worth exploring. Yeah, well, I, I would say two things. First of all, just the macro picture in terms of tying things together. I think this is where so many people, including yours truly, are frustrated with this whole border security bill because essentially what happened was that the Republicans in the House said, okay, we're not going to approve uh, aid to Ukraine unless we have all these border measures and we want A, B, C, D, E. And they think to themselves, God, Biden is never going to agree to that. Well, then Biden agrees to that. And then they say, because Trump doesn't want it, oh, never mind. So that is why, and you may agree or disagree, but that's why so many people, including yours truly, have a visceral reaction to this because it's like, you've got what you wanted, which you've never gotten before. And now you're still not taking it. But going back to Ukraine, a lot of other countries have helped. I mean, look at the number of refugees that Poland has taken in, okay? So it's more than just, Nah, monetary assistance. And I would even argue, look at the money we've gotten from Ukraine. We've spent the equivalent of what? Three or 4% of our defense budget. We haven't lost a single life. This is a proxy war that someone else is fighting for us. So I think we're getting good value for our dollar here. But having said that, certainly I think it's, it's always worthwhile. And this is true with NATO too. It's always worthwhile to remind people that the US is not the only show in town and to incentivize them to help out. But I'm really concerned because I think we're at a point now where Putin is ready after two years to to uh, end this thing. And I think you could make some territorial concessions that are primarily Russian speaking and, and uh, supporting uh, areas anyway, and we could finally get past this thing. But again, nobody is, nobody is watching it more closely than to then China in terms of Taiwan, but I'll give you the last word. Well, no, and I think the reason why Putin's not even weaker is because of China. They've they've really gone in and filled that vacuum of demand for a lot of their energy that was flowing to Europe, and they're backfilling that with the Chinese. And they're this you know this this unholy alliance of China and Russia coming together. That's one of the most disappointing developments since the Ukrainian invasion. Um, and it, yeah, it absolutely influences the Taiwan posture. So, but I think the, um, the idea that Putin wants to negotiate is, I, I hope, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Let's just send it that way. 
Okay, well, I think we we agree end on a wonderful agreement. But as always, it's it's done with uh, civility. I wish other talk talk shows would, would uh, use us as a model. Anyway, that does it for for this session. It is so great to always have you with us. Uh, thanks for joining us on Practically Political. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. We'll catch you all the next time. Yeah.